Hey, everybody, and welcome to the NFL Roadshow, and welcome to Super Bowl week. It is here, and I am so excited to dive into the game and the matchups that will ultimately decide it. But also, you guys, the other 30 teams, we're going to hear from players all week long at Radio Row doing interviews. There will be news, and it seems like every year there is some big news to come out of the week that spins us forward in a different direction for the offseason, whether that's a trade or a cut or a player announcing that he wants out. We'll see what it is this year. And I've got a great guest coming up who has some ideas about what that might be, NFL insider Ari Mirov is going to walk us through the potential quarterback moves, the running back free agency period, and two teams that he thinks have the potential to make massive waves this offseason. And I will just say this, he made me look at the Giants in particular totally differently in the coming months. I think he's on to something here, and now I can't wait to see if he's right. So stick around. I think you're going to find what he has to say to be very interesting. We also talk about Lamar a lot on this episode because I can't not, obviously. But also, in my defense, my first guest brings him up first and sends me spiraling down that particular rabbit hole. And my first guest knows a thing or two about... A, what it takes to play quarterback in the NFL, and B, what it's like to change teams in the NFL and play at a high level in more than one city. He is two-time NFL MVP Kurt Warner, also Super Bowl champion and Super Bowl MVP Kurt Warner, who went to the Pro Bowl four times in his career. That is relevant because of what we just witnessed this past weekend, and I got to ask him about that. Look, I know the Pro Bowl is everybody's favorite thing to be snarky about in NFL circles. I just think it's a tough one for the league to figure out, right? Like it is, we can all agree it's a different uh, all-star game than other sports are dealing with in that it is hard to play a football game for fun. What with the health risks attached and the amount of money that's at stake being what it is. So to play a real football game in the Pro Bowl turns into something that feels a little stupid because guys aren't going to take any risks. They aren't going to tackle. We've heard this conversation for years. And then what are we really watching, right? So I think it's good that the league tried out something new. I thought that the new format was fun. I enjoyed seeing the players having a good time with each other, doing the things like longest drive and best catch. And I totally get why some people thought that the whole production was dumb. But purely anecdotally speaking, I will tell you, my son, who's eight years old, and his friends, they seemed to enjoy it. They made me pull up the catches on my phone so they could compare and contrast. My son made me race home from my daughter's basketball game midday on Sunday so that he could watch. And in some ways, I kind of think that that's your audience for something like this. But again, I don't know. I just know that the league's in a tough spot with it because you're not going to get rid of something that makes that much money, but you're also never going to please the purists because no one in the league wants to be out there doing like an Oklahoma drill for free, right? Anyway, I'll be curious to get Kurt's thoughts on that. And then also, and most importantly, the ways that he views this game coming up on Sunday, the ways that he thinks the defenses could affect the quarterbacks, and also the ways that he thinks that the quarterbacks should attack these defenses. There is lots to talk about. So let's break the huddle with Ari Mirov in a little bit, but Kurt Warner up first. Hello, let's go! Two on, two on, two. Ready? Ready? Hi, Kurt. Thank you so much for making time. I know it's a huge week. Is it is it busier than normal for a Super Bowl week because it's kind of a home game for you? Um, it's about normal. I think the difference is, you know, NFL Network's not traveling as many people here to do as many shows here. So it's not as busy from a 
you know, quote unquote work standpoint. Uh, it's okay. more different from an appearance and, you know, bouncing around and just because it's hometown and so many people want, want a part of you from the other aspects. Uh, so that makes it, that makes it busy, but, uh, but you know, this is the culmination of everything that we do. You expect this week to be busy. You want to be busy. You want to be talking about the game and the culmination of uh, an incredible season. So um, as busy as it is, I, you know, I look forward to this week and then I look forward to next week. It's my first chance to, uh, to take a deep breath after a busy fall and, um, and, and enjoy life from a different perspective. Totally. Well, I've got a ton of questions about the game, um, but I want to start real quick with your thoughts on the new Pro Bowl format. I feel like this was a big, you know, people have very strong feelings about the Pro Bowl. <laughs> yeah, what I are mean, yours? I don't know. I don't really know what to do with the Pro Bowl. I mean, I realize that our game is is different than every other game. And I realize after a long season, you know, who wants to put on the pads and go do what we do, um, you know, just for fun, so to speak. Um, so I don't know the right way to do it. I think the bottom line is I just want the Pro Bowl to have substance. Uh, meaning the players that belong in the Pro Bowl, that get voted into the Pro Bowl, I want them to want to be a part of the Pro Bowl. Mm-hmm. And if they don't want to be a part of it, then we're not doing it right. And yeah. um, and I think we saw that again this year. Is So, you know, when I was playing, it was a trip to Hawaii, um, you know, and it had, it had some substance to it. You, you know, it, it meant something to the players. And so... You know, even though, you know, a number of times I went, I was coming off a Super Bowl and sometimes I was injured. I went anyway. And, you know, I didn't even play all that much in the game, but I wanted to be a part of that because the best players in the league went. And it was a chance to kind of celebrate what we had accomplished and take the family and get to know other players. And I wanted to be a part of it. And I feel like we've lost all of that. And so now, you know, you've got guys that are, you know, six, seven down on the list becoming pro bowlers because the guys that are up at the top say like, I don't need to go do dodgeball or, you know, I, you know, I'm not interested in, in, you know, seeing if I'm the most accurate going at the target, you know, I want to be the most accurate when I'm playing a football game. And so uh, I understand why they're doing what they're doing. And I understand how they're trying to make it entertainment and, and get guys together. And, and, and there's definitely some value in it, but you know, when it, when it comes to the place where there's not really much contemplation by you know the top players to go you know I don't I don't know what I'm gaining from that you know I don't know what that means anymore uh, I think we've lost the value of the Pro Bowl um, regardless of what we do at it yeah that's what we have to find if if we want to keep doing something like this yeah I talked about that last week on the pod I feel like we're almost at a point now with the types of people how far down the list we're going to get to like Pro Bowlers where we need to start designating like the difference between someone that was voted into the pro bowl and someone that was a pro bowl alternate maybe because just in terms of like hall of fame arguments, stuff like that, it starts to feel a little bit meaningless and it already was a little bit more of a popularity contest. And we all kind of knew that component, but now that you've got some guys going who have thrown more interceptions than touchdowns on the year to represent the quarterback position, it just feels bizarre back to the super bowl. Okay. So I know that you don't reveal your pick for the game until the pregame on Super Bowl Sunday. But honestly, at this point, I'm kind of more interested in like your process and how you get to that pick. When you first hear that it is Chiefs and Eagles, we know that these are the two teams and you're deciding what you want to go back and take a closer look at on tape. What's your starting point? What's your broad thought that you then try to narrow in? Well, I mean, obviously, because I'm all about the quarterback position, you know, that's where I always start with everything, you know, is is there 
a big discrepancy at that position because, you know, again, we can talk about you know, wins not being a quarterback stat and all that stuff that people want to talk about. I'm, I'm in the minority there is that I do believe, um, you know, winning can be a quarterback stat because I believe they have a bigger hand in a lot of things, not just having the ball in their hands, but the impact that they have on a game is dramatic. And so I, you know, I look that, at that first to go, okay, you know, where do we stack up with the two quarterbacks and what do they bring to the table? Um, and so, so I start there. And, you know, the great thing is, is we've got two quarterbacks that have had great years and they both bring some unique things to the table that will be difference makers in this game. So, so I love that aspect of it. Um, you know, and, and, and then from there, I, I go to, okay, you know, when, when you base it off of the quarterbacks, now I want to look at the defenses and go, do the defenses have what they need to, to counter what these quarterbacks do really, really well, you know, and obviously one of the first things I'm always looking at is, is pass rush, how they pass rush, you know, what it gives them the capability of doing on the back end, you know, if, you know, they're the Eagles and they can rush with four and they've got guys all over the place where they can get matchups at every position, you know, that's a huge upside, you know, when you're playing against the Patrick Mahomes and you have to get pressure on him. You can't let him stand back there and just do what he does. And they can do it with four guys. You know, they don't have to throw a bunch of crazy schemes at you. And it allows those other guys to play on the back end. On the other side, you know, I look at and you got Chris Jones. But you don't have the pieces around Chris Jones that the Eagles do. And so, you know, you watch, you know, the fact that the Chiefs moved Chris Jones around against Cincy. And they did some great things. But then I say to myself, well, where are you moving him against this Eagles offensive line? Like, yep. you put him outside against Lane Johnson. Like, that, that's not a bad thing. You put him inside, now you got the best center in the league in Jason Kelsey, who's really, really smart, too, and he's going to do a great job of, of doubling and getting to that side, um, you know, with Chris Jones as much as he possibly can. So you start thinking about, well, then you got Spags on the other side. And one thing that I believe Spags is going to have to do is bring a pressure package to get quick pressure on Jalen Hurts and force him to think fast, um, you know, but to also be used different looks to be able to try to get Chris Jones those one one on one matchups because he's got to be a difference maker on that side, you know. So you know, it, and then it just kind of progresses from there. You know, I start looking at playmakers on both sides. What do these guys do? How do they like to use them? How does it match up to what the teams on the other side? do you know the eagles are the best team in the league at intercepting the football and you know i just did a piece for my qb confidential that i'm going to post later this week where you know i show five different guys making interceptions so it's not just like hey we got this stay got away from him Patrick back here on the this side and you got to worry about him or we got chris jones on the front side and you got to worry about him they got pieces all over the place that can make plays on the back end uh you know so countering that with Okay, who are the guys that are going to step up for the Chiefs in the pass game? We know Travis Kelsey's going to be there. Who's the next guy? Where can they exploit some of the things that the Eagles do with the quick pass rush and the man-to-man -man coverage on the back end? So I'm looking at maybe Jarek McKinnon and what he does in the screen game and what they do with the specials with him against man-to-man -man coverage so you're not worried about things on the end. You know, so that's how my mind works, Wayne. Is that, you know, yeah. I'm all over the place, but it always comes from, A, you know, what do these quarterbacks do? And then B, if I'm playing against that defense, is how I always set things up. Like, okay, what would I do? How can I exploit 
them. And I'm always trying to find little nuances that show up on film that I say, okay, this seems to be a theme of a way that maybe you can, you know, you can mess up this defense or you can attack this defense. Have you found anything for the Eagles? I have. Yeah. Um, you know, cause again, they, they like to bring man to man coverage. Um, you know, one thing that I've seen over the last couple of weeks is that when you formation them and you move guys and motion them and they want to play man to man, there's a number of times where they can get messed up in man to man coverage. And so they'll drop somebody completely. You know, there's other times where, um, you know, it looks like they're playing man on one side and zone on the other side. And so when you run crossing routes and deep crossers, there'll be guys that come scot-free going to the other side because I don't know if somebody dropped the coverage or, you know, they're trying to play some kind of combo coverage, but they're running man on this one side and a guy runs a deep crosser and there's nobody there to cover him. And so there's some nuances as they played more man down the stretch that I think, you know, in some of these pieces, you know, uh, Gardner Johnson coming back and Avante Maddox coming back and trying to fit back into those roles. Um, if you you know, throw some different looks at him and movements at him, um, I think they can, at times can get confused on, oh, if this guy goes from number two on one side to number two on the other side, how do we bounce that? Who takes him? Do we, do we, and, and you, know, you can create some opportunities. Now you have to find those opportunities, right? As a quarterback, you know, you can do all of that. You don't know who they're going to drop. You don't know who's going, you know, so it's not as easy as going, oh, let me just scan the field and see who they didn't pick up. You know, you're still trying to read your play. So there was one that the 49ers had and Josh Johnson was in at the time and they motioned George Kittle on kind of a, a jet sweep motion. And nobody, you know, they messed up the coverage. And so he's standing on one side of the field and there is literally nobody else on that side of the field. From the hash all the way over, it's George Kittle standing over here on the numbers, you know, waving his hands, but the read, you know, really started on the other side. So Josh Johnson never got back to where George Kittle was, but he's standing wide open. And I mean, it's a, it's a 30 yard play if, if you just get him the football. So I see some of that show up. And so that would let me know. And, and the chiefs do a good job with their motions is, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to switch strengths of formations at times. And I'm going to motion guys across the field and, and see if we can get them to mess some things up and give us some easy opportunities on, on that side of the ball. From a chief standpoint on the offense, aside from Patrick Mahomes, where do you see, like, you could look at it and say, okay, the offensive line has to hold up. But then I also look at like Mahomes and his pressure to sack rate and the fact that it's the lowest in the league and they can put pressure on him, but you know, he's, a, he's the opposite of the quarterback that you're like, if you get him off the spot, like if you get him off the spot, it doesn't matter. Right. Like, you know, he, he does crazy things all the time. So, um, I, I, you know, and then there's the coverage on the back end. Um, and then, you know, the wide receiver has to find a way to get open maybe against him. Like who, who, who needs to help out Patrick Mahomes? Like where are the wins for, for them offensively? Um, yeah, I mean, I think there's a couple of things. I think the first thing is, you know, Patrick playing on schedule, you know, that, he, he he's really good on schedule at times. There's other times where it almost looks like he wants to play off schedule. I think in this game, he's got to really try to, to play on schedule uh, first and foremost and say, you know, I want to play within the structure. I want to get the ball out of my hands. Um, and that becomes, you know, part one to it. The guys that need to help him out. You know, I look at two guys specifically, and I mentioned Derek McKinnon, mm -hmm. um, you know, that, to be able to create easy pass opportunities with Jared McKinnon, I think is, is key. And he's really good. 
and he's really smart, and they've got some nuances that they do with him uh, in the past game. A lot of times as they're getting closer to the red zone, but I, but I see him as, as being a factor. I want to slow down a pass rush. I want to get the ball out quick, and I want to get the ball out to a guy that can make play. So if they're going to play man, I think he can be a big difference maker. And then I think the other guy has to be MVS, um, Valdez Scantling. Um, he's been their big playmaker. He's been the guy that, you know, he's not Tyreek Hill, and he's not as consistent as Tyreek Hill. But um, he has been the guy when they needed big plays down the field that has made the big plays down the field. And, again, you just have to believe against a good defense um, that you're going to need some big plays. Like you're not going to be able to work the ball down the field and just, you know, go 10 and 12 plays and and win this game. That you're going to have to create some big plays. And, and I believe he's going to have to be that guy. He was that guy against Cincinnati, right? They needed three or four of those big plays. They never really got into a rhythm, but he gave them three or four of those big plays. And that was the difference maker. You know, first time they played against Cincinnati, it was the same way. At three 20-yard plays. Um, and, you know, and it was MBS. And, and you look back over the season, um, you know, besides Travis Kelsey, he's number two on their team and 20 plus yard plays, big plays for them. And so they're going to need some of those. They're going to need to win against man to man coverage. And he is that other guy, I believe, that's going to have to, you know, do well, you know, barring the fact that if the Chiefs can run the football or something, um, you know, commit to that, it's been, you know, Achilles heel for the Eagles to some degree. Um, but in the past game, I believe those are the two extra guys that I look at and go, I'm going to need a couple of difference making plays from those guys if, if they're going to win this game. Can I back you up when you said, um, why is it important that Patrick Mahomes plays on schedule in this game when he's so good off schedule? Well, because you're good off schedule when you get to dictate how you're off schedule. Okay. You know, like when, when Patrick can stand back there and then buy his own time because he doesn't have pressure on him and, and he can work outside the pocket. He's really good because he's a unique and gifted thrower on the move. When you don't get a chance to dictate playing off schedule, that makes the game harder. And Patrick's still really good in those situations, but with the passwords of the Eagles, I don't think it's going to be as much about Patrick Mahomes getting to dictate when he wants to play off schedule and more. He's going to be forced to play off schedule. Um, you know, and that'll be another dynamic is that I don't think there's anybody in the league that's as good as Patrick at simply manipulating the pocket and throwing from different positions inside the pocket with subtle movements. And, you know, so that's another part of it is that you can get pressure on him, but you've got to close in on him and not allow those subtle movements, you know, the, the touchdown to MVS against Cincinnati um, last week. You know, it's pressure to the left and he's able to step and slide a little bit to the right, never has to set his feet, make the throw on the post for the touchdown while he's getting sandwiched by two guys. That's the ad lib that, you know, to me, if you're the Eagle, scares me the most is I think we got good enough pass rush that we're not going to let him run around and do whirly birds and do all of this the whole game. But, you know, we've got to be on top of it that when we get close, we've got to get to him. Otherwise, that subtle manipulation in the pocket he's really, really good at, especially down in the red zone. He'll buy some time and get guys looking at him and then make great throws over the top. And so that is an equalizer for them. Um, but again, against this pass rush, I just don't think you want to live thinking, oh, I can dictate, you know, playing off schedule and making some special plays. You need to play on schedule, play on schedule. And then when you're forced to do what you have to do, 
then go make one or two of those special plays. But I don't think you want to live in that world against this defense as athletic and, and as good as they are up front. You talked about the Chiefs defense um, trying to get to Jalen Hurts. Uh, how does his versatility complicate that for them? Well, I, I don't think it complicates that um, when you get into passing situations. Because, again, he, he can tuck it and run, but I'll live in this game if we're getting, you know, I don't even want to say getting beat, but if we're giving up plays with Jalen Hurts having to scramble in passing situations, I'll live in that world. You know, if, if that beats us in this game, okay, it beats us in this game. But when I get into sure passing situations, I want to get pressure on him and I want to get quick pressure on him and I want him to have to think fast. Um, he's gotten better at that this year than he was last year, but still to me, it's his biggest weakness. When he can stand back there and dictate things, you know, see things, step in and make throws or, you know, look around and nothing's there and, and then he tucks it and runs, that's when he's dangerous. You know, he's dangerous when they can dictate things by running the football and he becomes an advantage in the run game. That's when he's unique. He's not necessarily unique as a drop back passer. You know, that's still the weakest part of his game and, and even weaker when you get on him quick and he's got to understand where he's going with the football and have a plan and get the ball out of his hand. Um, and so, again, I'm not trying to sit here and say he's not a good quarterback and he can't do that stuff. Well, all I'm saying is that if I'm picking the biggest weakness for him, even this year in an MVP type year, that's his biggest weakness. So I've got to figure out how to confuse those guys up front and get quick free runners at Jalen Hurts and force him to make those quick throws. Um, and if, if you're allowing them to dictate the game in other ways, I think it's going to be really hard for this Chiefs chief defense because, uh, you know, the dynamics of, of what the offensive line has for the Eagles, but also what Jalen Hurts brings, um, you know, in the RPO and, and run game. I think this matchup is fascinating, and I can't wait to see the way that it plays out. Um, last question for you. I want to ask your thoughts on, uh, the quarterback situation for the teams that are out. You know, you've got this, this is going to be a really interesting off season. I think in terms of potential quarterback movement, we saw some big moves last year. Who do you have your eye on this year? Um, and, and where do you think like the right fits are? Because there's a lot of guys that might be swapping teams. And I think some, some landing spots make more sense than others. Yeah. You know, I'm interested. I mean, I think obviously one of the big dominoes is, is Aaron Rodgers. You know, it's the speculation that he actually is going to get traded. Now you start to just look around and go, okay, where, where could he get traded? Like, what, what are, are the proper landing spots? And, you know, I think the hard thing is that our league is actually in pretty good shape with a lot of young quarterbacks that have shown, that have shown mm -hmm. promise. Mm -hmm. You know, not that they've necessarily become that guy yet, but they've shown promise. And so I don't think there's a lot of teams that are going, hey, you know, we're gonna, you know, we're gonna salvage everything to go get Aaron Rodgers for a year or two. And so, you know, I'm starting to look around, you know, the league and just kind of say that, you know, which of those teams are going to do that? And it, you know, it makes sense that, you know, Aaron Rodgers, if he's traded or wants to go somewhere, that you know, you try not to keep him in the NFC. Um, you know, but but I look at the AFC side of it and, and you know, I just I wonder myself if I'm Aaron Rodgers, how appealing, you know, some of those situations are. You know, the Raiders, I think, is obviously going to be one that people are going to talk about with Devontae there and 
and Josh, and they've got some weapons. But again, I mean, I just, I don't know if I say to myself, if I'm Aaron Rodgers at this point, you know, do I want to go there, you know, and start anew with the team with all this unbelievable talent in the AFC? And not that, you know, Aaron Rodgers is afraid of competition. It's just, I know as well as anybody that there's a, there's a building process that usually goes into every situation when you go from one place to another. Now, I know we've seen the Rams in the Tampa recently that, you know, that won in their first year with those new guys. But those teams were built across the board really, really well. I mean, they had talent all over the place. It wasn't like, you know, the Raiders where they've got, yeah, some skill talent, but they don't have a defense. They don't have a great offensive line. You know, like they don't have all the pieces, you know, and you've got the competition that you've got to go through on the AFC side. And so you look at the NFC side, and then I just say to myself, I don't know what, I mean, what, who's, who's looking, you know, who's, who's really wanting to, to, you know, like the Saints, could the Saints be, yeah. Doesn't make any sense to me. Financially, it doesn't make any sense to me. Like, why dig yourself deeper in that hole, dude? Try and get out at some point. But, but, you know, again, they've got some players that I think, okay, that could be a team that could be competitive on the NFC side. Um, you know, I, I look in the NFC West and I just say to myself, I, I don't think anybody's really going anywhere. I mean, would San Francisco, I mean, he just said the other day on the golf course, I'm not going to San Francisco. I don't really know what that means. Right. You know, but, but again, you know, is San Francisco willing to go down that path again? They got all the highest paid players at all these positions. And then you take on Aaron Rodgers for a year or two. Yeah, they could be contenders, but you know, I mean, you went down that path with Jimmy and now you've got these two young quarterbacks. And so, you know, I, I mean, I think it definitely makes sense. Um, but I, but I mean, I, I really, when I, I start thinking about it, I'm just like, I don't know how many spots are really out there that make sense to trade for that contract for a year or two. And so I, I just, I don't know. I mean, if it's going to happen, I don't know. You know, a lot of people are talking to Jets. Okay. I mean, you know, I, I get it. I see it. Good defense, you know, good young talent. I mean, again, I, I could see that being a piece. Um, but, I mean, I think as a fan, I'd like to see him stay in the NFC just so we can have more parity around the league. But I just don't see a lot of great suitors for him to go. If I'm going somewhere else and want to win a championship, because I don't know, why else you go somewhere else? Like, why, you know, why are you still doing this thing unless you want to win a championship? Because, you know, of kind of what people talk about with Aaron. Um I don't know. I don't know if there's a lot of spots out there that that have, you know, a championship type team right now that I think in the next year or two, when I look at the landscape, are are going to be competing for that. Even with Aaron Rodgers, I'm not I'm not sure. So that that one intrigues me. Um, you know, then you have like a Derek Carr who's already, you know, I mean, obviously all accounts will, will be out there. Um, you know, and you kind of look at that same mold. Is that but you know yep. Derek. Derek's got a few more years on, you know, he's going to play longer. Uh, I think Derek is a good quarterback. I don't think he's the guy that necessarily puts you over the top in terms of now we're a championship caliber team. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we're a playoff team. Yeah, we're more competitive. Um, But I need to see Derek be more aggressive and and play more to his skill set, which I've waited for and waited for and waited for in, in, uh, you know, Vegas and with the Raiders, and and I haven't seen it. And so, now I'm just, you know, I sit back and I love Derek and, and we're friends that I just go, I, I don't know if that's in him. I don't know if that's who he is as a quarterback. And I think you've got to have one of those guys, especially if you're staying in the AFC. 
you got to be the difference maker. I mean, you've got to be the guy that wins games for you against, you know, Josh and Patrick and, and Joe and, and those guys, um, you know, and then Lamar. I mean, I think Lamar, that one's intriguing to me is it's intriguing from two standpoints is that, you know, it's intriguing first and foremost, because, you know, the, the Ravens seem to, to want him, uh, but they've, they've mortgaged everything around Lamar Jackson. And, you know, it's a total rehaul, um, you know, overhaul offensively to have to rebuild an offense um, around a different kind of quarterback. Uh, I think what we've seen, you know, I talked to um, John Harbaugh, you know, a number of years ago, actually, you know, we did the game when kind of Lamar just started to take over and we were talking to him about it. And, you know, he told us, you know, the biggest thing was when we decided to go this way, we had to go all in. Like we had to build this thing completely around him. And then we had to go try to find a backup quarterback that could fit into this system. And I think what we've seen is there is no backup quarterback that fits into the system. Like there is, that guy is not out there. Lamar is unique. And this system is unique to a guy like Lamar period. And so are there not other starting quarterbacks though? Like to find a guy that you don't, you know, that is a backup is different than finding it. Like, like, could you not, they're not going to go make a move for this is not, but like, it's not one versus one, but like, could you find like a Justin Fields and plug him into this offense? Justin Fields might be the only one that I think that we have in the league that could fit into this system. I don't think, you know, the other guys like the Kyler Murray or, I mean, guys like that that are athletic, they're not Lamar Jackson athletic. They don't play the game like that. So I don't think there's another starter out there. But what I'm saying is that, you know, you realize that if you go all in with this one quarterback and really the only quarterback that's able to do this, you're putting yourself at a disadvantage if he's not able to do it all the time or if he gets beat up or if, you know, if you lose some capacity, even in the course of a season, he gets an ankle injury. Oh, I see what the point you're making. Yes, I agree. I don't think you're ever going to, you know, like, you know, you can have Joe Burrow and you're not going to find a backup as good as Joe Burrow. Yeah. But, you're not talking about like, oh, we're going to keep this all in place. And who else are we going to find to plug in? You're saying like, if he's not available, it all falls apart. It all falls apart. Yes. Like, got it. Don't have, and you're not built to do anything else. You know, we kind of saw that with either Huntley this year is like, yeah, he's athletic and, and he can do some stuff, but it's not the same. And he plays the game a little bit differently than the Mar. So we're trying to do something a little bit different that we're not built to do. And it doesn't work. It only works if you have Lamar and Lamar is unique. So they've, you know, kind of put everything into building around Lamar. And then there's the other side of it too, is that nobody else has done this. So as dynamic and as great as Lamar Jackson is, there's no other system that fits his skill set like the Raven system does. So if he wants to go and be and do something somewhere else, now they've got to figure out what, what does that look like? And what pieces do we have? And, you know, are we willing to, to spend $40, $50 million on Lamar Jackson a year and then have to go out and change and, you know, redesign our system around him? Or maybe there's the third piece is Lamar Jackson wants to be a different quarterback. He wants to be a typical quarterback that can run, but that throws first. Mm-hmm. And a la... Russell Wilson. I believe that's a big part of what Russell Wilson wanted in as he moved on is I want to go show everybody I can be a great quarterback. 
not just a good athlete that runs around and makes plays and not just benefiting from a good defense and a run game, but I think that guy. Mm-hmm. And he wasn't that guy this year. And again, I love Russell and I want him to be great. And we have a great relationship, but he didn't see the field this year. He didn't, you know, he couldn't play in that system. It, it, you know, at least this year, you know, he was way behind the eight ball and playing in that system. And it was bad football, you know, and it was bad football on, you know, what I look at. And again, I played the game different, but I look at stuff and I go, this is elementary stuff. Like I look at it and say, I think every NFL quarterback, you know, needs to be able to see this and do this. But if you've never done that and you've never been asked to do that, there's a process that goes into learning that and being able to play that way. And so you sit back and go, okay, will it just take time? How, how much time? Or they've never learned it up to this point. It's too late to learn how to play that way. And I don't know the answer to that, you know, with, with a guy like Russell, but those are the questions that I have because he's never really played that way, but now trying to figure out how to play that way or, or trying to get into a situation. And let's hope it was just, Hey, this was the first year, all that stuff. And now next year he can settle in. And, but, but that's what I would ask with Lamar Jackson is can I get Lamar here and can he be the guy that I needed to be within my offense? Because we don't have the Ravens offense. Nobody else has the Ravens offense. And so, you know, so you have all these questions on both sides. What do the Ravens become if they don't have Lamar Jackson? What's that look like? And what's Lamar become if he doesn't have the Ravens and that offense? And, you know, in that whole process, um, it just, it all fascinates me because all of us as quarterbacks are different beasts and we play the game differently. And that's not a knock on anyone, you know, that, Hey, you don't play it like I do. So you're not very good. No, it's simply just as we get older and as we, we move on, or as we move from one place to another, you have to be able to carry something with you that sets you apart, no matter where you're at. And, you know, and it's one of the reasons why, and you know, very few really good quarterbacks have gone from one system to another system and been very successful. It just doesn't happen. I mean, first of all, most times great quarterbacks don't leave their one system, but the right. ones that do struggle to have that same kind of success. You know, we've seen it a little bit more. And a big part of it is that, you know, when, when I went to Arizona, it took me some time to have success again because I had to rebuild the system around me, like what I do well, I, you know, I can't just fit into any system. You got to do what I do well and I can be really good again, but, but we got to get there. Peyton, you know, and I didn't have quite the clout when I went to Arizona to, to kind of flip it. You know, Peyton went to Denver and it, it didn't take quite as long because Peyton had the clout to go in and go, yeah, I'm here. Now we're running my system. Yep. You know, and we can say whatever we want about, you know, all the people that were involved there. That became Peyton's system. And so Peyton got to do what he did elsewhere in Denver, and now we have success. We saw the same thing with Tom Brady, right? We saw the first eight games with Tom Brady and Bruce Arians, and they were like, oh, my gosh, this is, looks awful. And then eventually we kind of settled in, and, you know, and it still was a hybrid, but, uh, but they got back to doing some of the things that Tom did really well, and they were able to salvage that and, and have a couple of really good years there with it. But, but it's not an easy thing to do to just – oh, let me just plug this good player in over here at court at the quarterback position and think he's going to be just as good. Um, and so that's, that's, you know, that's always an interesting proposition of the timing that it takes to build around that quarterback so you can be successful with him, but you can also get him to play 
at the top of his game. And, you know, and athletic guys obviously get older like the rest of us. You know, us non-athletic guys, we get older and it doesn't affect us because we just we still can't move. We still play the same way. Russell has to adjust his game a little bit because he's not the athlete. You know, Lamar at some point will probably have to adjust his game and not be able to be built around the stuff that he's done in Baltimore. And all those are propositions moving forward that you have to take into consideration as a team. And so if Lamar doesn't want to be there um, and if that's how it plays out, It'll be very interesting to see who goes out and gets him and who pays in that big contract and who is willing to, you know, to, to, to reshape their entire build and system around, you know, his skill sets as dynamic and as awesome as he is. Um, I don't think that's going to be an easy thing. I don't think it's just plug in this unbelievable athlete and we're going to just, we're going to roll. So, I mean, I just, I'm intrigued by a lot of those situations because of a lot of the different dynamics that go into it and things that we've seen uh, in recent years. Um, but it also makes it fun because, yeah. you know, I also know that you know, sometimes you need a change and there's a great challenge in, in taking on a new situation and learning how to lead a new situation and, uh, and slowly learning how to infiltrate and shape a culture to have success. You know, it's one of my greatest rewards was, to go to Arizona when everybody thought I couldn't play anymore and, and nobody thought we'd ever have success in Arizona. And we almost won the Super Bowl, you know, and we had three years of you know winning our division and, and having success and um, and reshaping the way people saw the organization. And there was some, such great reward in that, um, mm -hmm. in, in what it meant to me as a, as a leader and as a, as a quarterback and, um, and those kinds of things. So, you know, that'll be fun for some of these guys. But it's also not easy. Like, you know, it took me some time, you know, to, to rebuild that and to get people to, to buy into what I could still be and, and shaping things. And that's not always an easy proposition. And, and, you know, like with an Aaron Rodgers, does he have the time to do that if he's going somewhere that's not, you know, 100% ready to, to win a championship? It's going to be a fascinating offseason, and you nailed it with the whole Lamar Jackson thing. I think that's that's the thing I'm most interested to see um, for all of the reasons that you mentioned. And I'm not 100% sure he'll be back in Baltimore, but uh, but like you said, I'm not 100% sure what that means, right? Like for Baltimore or for the team that he lands in. Uh, Kurt, I know it's a just crazy busy week for you, and I really appreciate you carving out some time for me. Thank you so much. Always my pleasure. Good to see you. All right. Well, that was fascinating and also a perfect transition to my next guest, Ari Mirov, who uh, worked for PFF for a long time as an insider for them and is now with the 33rd team, uh, also has a podcast that uh, I'm sure you have all heard of also, which is um, the Ari Mirov NFL show. Ari, thank you so much for making time during a busy week. I feel like I'm saying this to everybody, but I know it's just insane. And this is the start of really what I would assume is actually maybe even a busier season for you than the regular season. Is that true? It 100% is. And thanks for having me on, Lindsay. It's, um, I, I told you this before we started, my family still thinks when the Super Bowl is over, I could finally take a break, everything is over. And I'm like, you guys have to understand when the season is over, my regular season really starts. So um, we have a Super Bowl coming up, then all the cuts and trades and signings and on and on. It, it just gets started right now. So um, it's going to be a very, very busy offseason. 
free agency draft, all of the things. I love the off season probably as much as I love the regular season because I really love this component of it all. The the puzzle that is putting together uh, rosters and you know fixing holes and the fact that we get to redo it all kind of every off season I think is is really fun. Every year, though, at Super Bowl, I feel like every year there is a massive news story that breaks. And, you know, sometimes you can see it coming. Sometimes you can't. Do you have any like first guesses as to what we might all be talking about or shocked by at some point this week? Well, I think the one everyone's keeping an eye on has to be Derek Carr. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, he has a 40 million dollar guarantee trigger that hits three days after the Super Bowl. We've seen quarterback trades happen during this time period in the past. Whether it's um, Alex Smith happened during Super Bowl week, Matthew Stafford happened, I believe, a week after the Super Bowl. So this is like the time of year where it could happen, especially for him, where that contract was specifically structured in a way where three days after the Super Bowl, the money becomes guaranteed. And Derek Carr was at the Pro Bowl this week, told reporters, I'm not moving that date. They have to decide. He has no permission to seek a trade yet. So um, it's getting to a point where if the Raiders don't make a deal here in the coming days, and it's hard to imagine any team stepping up and taking on that contract, knowing that they have three days after the Super Bowl, that um, he most likely will be the first quarterback domino. We're also watching Aaron Rodgers. We know he's um, taking his time. But I think the, the one name that we're all keeping an eye on to start things off will be Derek Carr in Las Vegas. That's interesting to me because I... I mean, it makes sense because of the date, but if we're assuming that the Raiders are going to be forced to cut him anyway for financial reasons, and then he'll go pick his own team. uh, We were just talking to Kurt Warner about the various quarterback dominoes this year. And I keep thinking that I can't find a spot that totally makes sense to me for Derek Carr, partially because um, I don't know that any teams that are just like, totally ready to go, ready to win a Super Bowl. They're like one piece away. Um, and if they were one piece away and that team did exist out there, like the Niners, you could make the argument are that team that I think Aaron makes more sense to go after than Derek. And if you're not that team, I'm not sure Derek totally makes sense either for a build. Like if you're looking at the Panthers or the Colts or um, I mean, the commanders, I think, don't make sense because I don't know if they're going to be spending any money this offseason because of the sale of the team, potentially. But those other teams that I mentioned, I'm not sure that it just doesn't make more sense to go get someone in the draft. So there's a part of me that's like, does Derek have to wait until after the draft and then just whatever's left over gets Derek? No, I think Derek is in a good position here because he's going to have a head start over everybody else if he gets cut, right? For agency is in March. As soon as he gets cut, he's a free agent. He's allowed to take visits right away with teams. We've seen this happen before where players get cut loose from their contract and free agency starts March 15th, but I'm a free agent in February. So I had that head start. I could talk to teams. I can meet with teams and I could get ahead of the curve with everybody else. We've seen players like Greg Olson do this, JJ Watt, when he was cut from the Texans, right? He had a head start in free agency and signed with the Cardinals. So there is a benefit when you get cut before free agency begins for everyone else, where you are basically have a head start over everybody else. And I just look at the NFC South, where all four teams need a quarterback. That division is wide open. The talk of Senior Bowl last week, I was there in Mobile, was that one of those teams, possibly a Panthers with Frank Reich, maybe the Saints, if they continue to want to go pushing all in, those teams would make sense for Derek Carr if he's cut loose. Um, you know, that, that entire division is so wide open that you don't need a superstar quarterback. We always talk about the AFC versus the NFC. If you're an AFC team and you're adding Derek Carr, 
and you have to go against Burrow, Mahomes, Allen, Herbert, Lamar, it's much harder. When you look at the NFC, who are you competing against when it comes to quarterbacks? There's Jalen Hurts, Dak Prescott, Kyler Murray. Not the same thing as the AFC. So if you put Derek Carr in an NFC team and the roster around them is a decent roster, you could make a good argument they should at least compete in that conference over a conference like the AFC. And I understand, I suppose, the tough spot that those teams are in, in that the division is winnable. And if you can get to the postseason, anything can happen and you can go make a run at a Super Bowl. But I also don't think that any of those teams are legitimately close to being one of the best teams in the NFL. Right. It would have to be a fluky run to a degree. And so for that reason, I'm having a hard time wrapping my brain around one of those teams saying we're going to pay for Derek Carr as opposed to build around a rookie quarterback. If that's a possibility for us in the draft that we really like. I think Carolina is a sneaky team and what they're trying to build. I mean, you look at that defense and Brian Burns and Derek Brown, J.C. Horn, Jeremy Chin, on and on. They just hired Ezra Evero from Denver, who's a young rising star, um, got some head coach interviews. He'll be the defensive coordinator there. David Tepper going into this interview process for a head coach was looking for an offensive-minded guy who he could come in and be with the quarterback hand-in-hand. Hand. Now, I don't know if he wants to go through the veteran uh, market again. He did it with Teddy Bridgewater. He did it with Sam Darnold. There was the Cam Newton period as well. Um, they had Macra under contract, but you look at that defense of what they've built. They did not want to unload any of those players by the trade deadline. The Rams offered two first-round picks for Brian Burns. They said no. So you look at that defense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But you look at that defense, there are some young core pieces there. And the offensive line, which was a big liability for years, really came together at the end of last year. So you put that all together. If you add Derek Carr to that team and you look at that division, I think as an owner, David Tepper was very hands-on, could look at that and say, you know what? I have an offensive mind head coach. I have a great defense here, a great defensive coordinator. Does this team take me over the top, at least for the division? And then let's see where where it takes us from there. I could see that being his vision, but um, it's definitely a great argument to have. But you have to remember where Derek Carr was. I mean, he was in a tough position all those years with the Raiders, turmoil, that division with Kansas City, with the Chargers, with the Broncos as well when they were good. Um, he went through it. If he goes to an NFC, you know, NFC South type of division where it's much less, I think you can make a good argument that he would actually, um, he would be on a team that could definitely compete there in that type of a division. Okay. All right. All of that makes sense to me. Uh, what are you hearing about Aaron Rodgers? What was this like? Uh, why, why he said not San Francisco? That That's the one I think that you could argue makes the most sense, right? Now that the Brock Purdy issue at the beginning of the year and he's not going to be available. I don't even know if San Francisco would want him, to be honest. I mean, like they checked in on the situation a couple of years ago when it first popped up. Um, obviously you have Birdie, you have Trey Lance, they're ready to move on from Jimmy Garoppolo, but I also don't know if the Packers would want to trade him in conference. I think that's definitely part of it. Yeah. I did find it interesting though, that Aaron on the Pat McAfee show last week basically admitted, and this has been going on in league circles. People have believed that the Packers have started looking around just to try to gauge the market. And he basically said, They've been doing stuff without letting me know, which they have every right to do for what it's worth. Um, so I thought that was interesting. But if you just look at the situation in Green Bay right now, look at their impending free agents, right? Mercedes Lewis, Randall Cobb, um, Alan Lazard, Mason Crosby, Robert Tunyon, all players very close to Aaron Rodgers. 
you look at their $16 million over the cap. They've been sitting Jordan Love the past few years. They have to make a decision on his fifth-year option this offseason. And then you look at the fact that there are three teams in the AFC that could definitely use him, whether it's the Jets um, and their owner, Woody Johnson, came out and said, we're ready to spend money. You look at the Titans, and he's building a home in Tennessee. You look at the Raiders, where, of course, they have his old friend, Devontae Adams. There are three teams out there that could use a quarterback, and it feels like the Packers are ready to start this youth youth movement with Jordan Love, with Christian Watson, Romeo Dobbs, A.J. Dillon. I should probably mention Aaron Jones has a big cap hit, which the Packers could get out of this offseason. It feels like they're ready to move on as long as Aaron is ready to move on as well. And I know Aaron's talking about retirement, but if he retires, $60 million goes down the train. And I know he's made a lot of money in his career, but does any man actually walk away from $60 million, it's hard to believe. So when you connect all those dots that I just mentioned, it feels like it's heading towards a situation where they're going to meet. It'll be a mutual decision. It's time to move on. We'll work together on a trade and we'll find a team for you. That makes the most sense. And Aaron did say on the Pat McAfee show that if they decide it's time to move on, I won't feel like a victim. Like, I get it. It's time to move on. I've been here for all these years. The fans have been great. The organization has been great. I've made a lot of money. It sounds like he's ready for that conversation. He just, he just needs to have that meeting with the team and say it's time and then let the carousel begin. And I'm sure the Packers are looking around and they are looking towards doing an AFC team over an NFC team, which is why I don't think he said San Francisco as in like just whatever. I think he just wanted to say something for the sake of it. But um, mm-hmm. I think they're going to look towards the AFC when it comes to doing a trade. That makes sense. Is there a time frame that makes the most sense to make this move? So when they structured this contract, it's one of the most complex contracts when you talk to people about this. So they did a, a contract where $60 million fully guaranteed next year, but 58 of it is structured in an option bonus. And usually when there are options, um, like the Raiders, for example, three days after the Super Bowl, this option was put in where it doesn't trigger until a week before week one of next season. So they have that entire period to try to figure out a trade. There is no hard off-season deadline for the Packers here. And as soon as a trade goes down, that option changes hands from the Packers to the acquiring team. So this contract was structured in a way where if it's time to move on this off-season, this is the time to do it. And there is no hard off-season deadline to do it. So when they put that contract extension together, if you remember, Aaron was upset the way it was described in the media about how much money he is making and take up a lot of the salary cap. It was structured in a way where the salary cap hits won't be that hard in the years he's playing. You're going to take on hits after he retires. So once he gets traded, the salary cap hit will just be $31 million, which for quarterbacks this day and age is not that much. So it was structured in a very unique way, a very complex contract, um, but it was structured in a way where if it's time to move on, we're ready to move on. There is no hard offseason deadline. We'll work together. And um, based off everything we just said, it sounds like they're heading towards that. Kurt Warner just brought up the Lamar situation and all of the many layers of dilemma attached to that, right? Like if you are the Ravens and you decide you're not going to pay him the contract and you're going to move on, then now you have a roster that's built around Lamar Jackson and what's necessary in terms of rebuilding that. And then if you're another team, you're taking on Lamar, how far away are you from having a roster that supports his specific style of offense so that you can uh, maximize his potential for success? You uh, and your podcast was one that jumped out at me in 
sort of putting like words to my thoughts about the Ravens and this situation. And I think it was from earlier this fall and you played a clip from Thomas Dimitrov's podcast when he had Eric DaCosta on. And it was Eric DaCosta talking about how their philosophy as a team is to win every transaction. And you came out of that clip and made the point that if they give Lamar a fully guaranteed deal, if that's in fact what he's looking for, there's no way to frame that as a win for them. It's kind of bad business that you're you're making because you feel pressured into making that that uh, that deal. And I thought that's a hundred percent what I've been trying to say and what I have felt all along about this situation. I think of all of the franchises out there, this is one that I can't see making that move because it's a bad business decision. And I think there are a lot of other, there are not a lot of other, there is another team out there that would give him that deal. I think out of desperation. Um, I just don't think that they're that team. And so I kind of see this heading in a direction where it maybe doesn't result in a deal unless Lamar changes what he's looking for potentially. Um, But I'm not sure what it looks like. And so for that reason, I think the Lamar situation is the most interesting offseason storyline for me. How do you, how do you view it at this point in time? Yeah, I I think you're spot on. The Ravens front office is one of the most analytically driven. Um, They, for example, take comp picks very seriously. CJ Mosley will let you go. Matthew Judon will let you go. No big deal. We'll we'll move on. We'll we'll add draft picks and we'll figure it out from there. The Lamar situation is so interesting because that clip of DaCosta with Dimitrov was done a year before the Lamar stuff actually started, you know, happening. So I don't think Eric would have said that if he knew the situation with Lamar back then, but he said it, I caught it and I put it out there. And it's just so true because they're not, you know, their owner, Stephen Bashadi was also the only owner who came out and said that the Sean Watson contract, $230 million fully guaranteed is a bad contract. Every owner agrees with it. No other owner came out publicly besides for him. And, you know, Lamar has been stuck with this fully guaranteed mindset and he's doing it without an agent, which is a whole nother fascinating part because Every agent in football would have not allowed Lamar to step foot on the field two years ago, definitely not this past year, and for sure not this next year without a new contract. And obviously, we've seen him get hurt these last two years. Nothing major, but definitely worrisome a little bit, especially for a guy who was number two over a number 32 um, overall pick, hasn't made great money compared to other people. So um, he's in a situation where he's literally just wants a fully guaranteed deal. And the Ravens are stuck in a situation where like, we're not going to do it. But now when you enter the franchise tag game, and we've seen this with Dak Prescott, we've seen it with Kirk Cousins. Once you enter the franchise tag game, the leverage starts swaying towards the player a little bit because he's getting closer to free agency. So I look at Lamar and obviously the first decision will be, will the Ravens put the exclusive franchise tag, which will be upwards of $40 million or the non-exclusive franchise tag, which is about 33, 34, but non-exclusive gives Lamar the right to go become a free agent, essentially seek out offers, sign an offer sheet. And if the Ravens don't match, Baltimore would receive two first round picks in return for Lamar. The thing is, we just first round picks, two first round picks. Correct. But but we just saw Deshaun Watson get traded for three first round picks with his entire situation. So getting just two first round picks probably isn't enough. So you would imagine they would do the exclusive franchise tag. And assuming talks continue to go the wrong way and there's no reason for Baltimore to do 
a fully guaranteed contract now, knowing that he's gotten injured the last two years. So what would have changed from the last two years to now is my question. Mm -hmm. So this is where it becomes a situation where Lamar, does he get upset to the point where he's like, you know what? You're not giving me what I want. I've been a unanimous MVP. The entire offense changed for me. And because of me, John Harbaugh's got an, ex- an extension. Um, this team is always relevant, blah, blah, blah. It's time to move on. I'm forcing the trade. And does it get to that point? Does Lamar have that power to do that? Does he want to do it? Because if he wants to, he could. He could definitely create a mess. He could definitely take a route, whether it's Deshaun Watson route and say, you know, I'm never playing for you guys again. You have to trade me. And then their hands are tied. Because if you look at last, last offseason, Cleveland came forward with a fully guaranteed contract for Deshaun. I'm sure Atlanta was ready to do it. Um, Carolina was involved. New Orleans was involved. Were they going to do that type of a contract? I'm not sure, but they definitely would have done something big, something that would definitely appease Lamar Jackson. So um, if it gets to that point, I'm sure Lamar knows that there are several quarterback needy teams out there and there are owners out there who have been looking for a young franchise quarterback and will do whatever it takes to get somebody like Lamar who has no off-field problems who as soon as you bring him into your building the jersey sales will be flying off Mm -hmm. it's a scenario where Lamar has power here that if it's not going the way he wants it to he could step up and say you know what Stephen Bishotti I've enjoyed playing here Eric DeCosta I've enjoyed playing here but we're not seeing eye to eye when it comes to contract and because of that I'm going to tell you guys, I'm not going to play for you next year, and it's time to move on. And um, I could definitely see that happening if it gets to a point where they're still stuck in a situation where it's it's a traditional contract, and he's stuck with a fully guaranteed structure, and they're like, we're not doing it. And they're always about winning every single deal. Like you said, giving out a fully guarantee is a losing proposition for Eric DaCosta. So it's definitely a, a fascinating situation, and we'll know very soon which direction they go in. Why do you say that? Well, the exclusive franchise tag decision Deadline. is from February 21st okay. till early March. I believe it's somewhere in that area. So they have to decide by then. I'm sure they're going to take it to the very last day. But whenever they decide, we'll know exactly where their head is at. So um, if they decide a non-exclusive franchise tag, that tells you that they're more than open to letting him seek out other contracts to see what his real worth is. When Dak was um, supposed to be a free agent. Dallas used the exclusive franchise tag, which took away his ability to go out and seek other offers. When Kirk Cousins was supposed to be a free agent, Washington used a non-exclusive and nobody stepped up to give up two first-round picks. I would imagine if Baltimore goes non-exclusive, there will be a line of teams ready to give up two first-round picks. Well, and I, I think for that reason, I would think that Baltimore would go exclusive and then just control it it would be like a tag and trade situation. And you know that what you're, I mean, what you're negotiating at that point is how much can I get for him in return with the understanding that someone's going to give him a, a fully guaranteed deal. Like that's what you're looking for. You're not really testing the market in this case, right? Right. But the other element of this and front offices, they budget three years in advance when it comes to the salary cap. As soon as you put that 45 million exclusive franchise tag, every dollar is hitting your salary cap. So going into this offseason, the Ravens are going to have $45 million tied into Lamar no matter what. Even if he doesn't sign the offer sheet yet, $45 million is allocated to him. So if Baltimore wants to do more business when it comes to free agency or re-signing their own players or whatever, that $45 million is locked in 
out of the $225 million salary cap. So it also ties your hands over there, right? Whenever you do a new deal, usually the first two years of the deal, team structure in a way where it's the lowest possible. And as the years go goes on, the number moves up. Right away, as soon as they place the franchise tag on him, even if he hasn't signed it yet, that money is hitting their salary cap and that affects them. And that's been a part of this as well, where Baltimore where they've been you know, budgeting for the next few years, they've been budgeting as well for the fact that they're going to have $45 million on Lamar, when of course any other team would love for it to be you know, down to like 10, 20, 30, whatever it is, but they have to budget for 45. And that really um, plays a big role when it comes to what they want to do in free agency and, and other moves as well. So this is a big deal, not just for it's holding up everything, but it there's a, a trickle-down effect to everything for this entire offseason of Baltimore if they go the exclusive or even non-exclusive route where the money is on the books right away. So if they did that, they would need to trade him pretty quickly thereafter, right? So that they would have some maneuverability to get it off the books? No, obviously, you don't want to trade. First of all, I don't know if they want to trade him. Obviously, they, they've said all the right things. They want to keep right. right. No, in this scenario, in this scenario, yes, not jumping ahead. Right, in this scenario where... It's hard because doing this type of a deal is so complex. Like the Deshaun Watson deal took months and months for of discussions behind the scenes until they finally had the green light to go and um, do a trade. Doing a quarterback trade like this is so complex because you'll be negotiating with Lamar, the new team, once they have permission, doing it with a non-agent, who's it's his mother and a few other advisors, is different. Any team will tell you when you're doing it with somebody else, and it's specifically the player. You know, in negotiations, when you're talking to agents, you say stuff you'll never tell the player to his face. In right. this scenario, you're literally telling it to his face. You're telling it to his mother. Like, why are we not doing it? Why won't we do it? What is our concerns? You're telling it to him. So it's much different when you're negotiating with the person himself versus negotiating with the agent. And you tell the agent, listen, we're going to tell you some stuff. Don't tell the client, client obviously. This is how we really feel. You don't have that here. So it's it's far different. It's very complex. But for Baltimore, yeah, they're in a situation right now where they're trying to map this out and try to figure out how they're going to do this offseason, knowing that if they place the franchise tag, that money hits right away and it could affect other decisions that we have this offseason. So from a Baltimore standpoint, they have said publicly and emphatically that they want to bring Lamar back, which I believe to be true. I also believe that they don't want to do the deal that he wants to do. And so I think that they have had enough time to kind of see where this might be going and to figure out where's our line in the sand and what do we do if it comes down to this and that they have to have alternate plans of action. If they have decided we will not do that deal. And so then that leads me to kind of take their comments publicly with a grain of salt, because you can have that be true and also be willing to move him at the same time. And I wonder if you've heard, have they had any conversations with people? Have they felt around about like what this might look like if it did come down to moving him? This is the problem with Baltimore is that I truly believe from all the NFL teams, they are the best at keeping stuff in-house. In other words, nothing gets out. Whatever we say here, nobody knows about it. And I'll give you a perfect example. Last year, the Marquise Brown trade on draft night, that deal was done a full four weeks before the draft. What? Four weeks before the draft. They told the Cardinals, if this gets out, deal is off the table. They told Marquise Brown's agent, who wanted out of Baltimore, Tory Dandy, if this gets out that he forced a trade, it's off the table. He's staying in Baltimore. Four weeks 
Nobody found out until draft night when they were on the clock. It's impressive. And this day Forget and age. Bill's mafia. How about the Ravens? <laughs> Holy this, heck. In this day and age, for nothing to get out for four weeks, no Schefter finding out, nobody finding out. Only the Cardinals for an office knew, a few people, the Ravens for an office, and the agent. Nobody else. And Marquise Brown, obviously. So it's very hard to figure out exactly what Baltimore is doing. So let's just say they are having talks with, I don't know, the Jets, for example. They're telling the Jets, listen, if anybody finds out we're talking, we're done talking to you. That's the way it works. So nobody knows what's going on there. Lamar doesn't have an agent. An agent is who everyone in the media talks to to find out what's going on. There is no agent here. His mother's the agent. His mother's not picking up the phone on anybody. So there's no way of figuring out exactly what he's thinking and what they're thinking. It's basically closed doors. And the only way we've been able to figure out Lamar's side is if a teammate speaks up, if he tweets about it, like he did with his injury. Otherwise, everyone is speculating about Lamar. When it comes to the Ravens, like I said, nobody knows. They're not going to talk to you. They won't say a word. So this entire situation, like we could wake up on February 18th and all of a sudden a Lamar trade is done or a Lamar extension is done. That's the way they operate. The Roquan Smith deal, same exact thing. No agent involved. They did that deal in nine days. Nobody knew they were talking. It just got done one morning. And it was announced. So the way Baltimore operates, I truly believe from all the organizations in the NFL, Eric DaCosta, Joe Hortiz, John Harbaugh, they keep everything tight. So um, I would imagine that'll be the same way, especially for something of this magnitude with this type of a player. Okay. So from aside, aside from this, um, what is the offseason storyline that you are the most intrigued to see how it plays out? I, I don't know how you can answer what the Giants do with Daniel Jones, Saquon Barkley, and how they decide to go through this. Because I've said this before on my podcast on my podcast and other places. What the Giants did this, this season resembles what Buffalo did in 2017. First year, Brandon Bean, Sean McDermott. They trade a bunch of their players, Sammy Watkins, Ronald Darby, get a lot of picks. It was supposed to be a bad year. And all of a sudden, they made the playoffs when nobody expected them to. That was a Tyra Taylor year. That was um, um, Kyle Williams last year. Is that his name? I believe it was. Um, his final year, they made the playoffs in that Bengals-Ravens um, Week 17 game. Nobody expected them to make the playoffs, and somehow they did. Then they had Tyra Taylor become a free agent. They Fans, for example, wanted Tyrod back, and they were like, no, nah, we'll move on. We'll trade him to Cleveland. They trade up to get Josh Allen from 22 to 7, 22 to 10, then 7. They made m- multiple trades, and that's when the Bills era started. It feels like the Giants, similar situation, new head coach, new GM, both from Buffalo, for what it's worth, um, a team nobody expected to make the playoffs, somehow makes the playoffs. They had a chance to get better at the trade deadline. They're like, nah, we'll trade away Kadarius Tony. We'll add more picks. Um, We're not going to try to get better. It feels like they knew this wasn't supposed to be the year, but they still somehow made the playoffs. And now you have Daniel Jones as a free agent. Saquon Barkley is a free agent. Another good player, Julian Love, is a free agent. And I'm trying to figure out, these guys, they inherited all these players. And I look at Buffalo, Devin Singletary, Zach Moss, um, um, James Cook, all third, fourth round running backs. They never paid running backs. Are they going to pay Saquon Barkley big money now? I know they've had talks. Joe Shane admitted they were very far apart. Are they willing to pay a running back $15, $16 million a year? 
And then quarterback, like Daniel Jones took a big step forward, 100%. I don't know if anybody would say he's in that special tier. And then when you look at the quarterback market, there isn't like a middle tier to pay quarterbacks. Like you have to go high. Like I'm pretty sure Daniel Jones people are expecting a deal to start with a four. Do the Giants want to go there? Like, do you want to go there with that type of a quarterback where he's good, he's decent, he showed us he could do stuff in this offense, but he's not in that special category. He's not Tyrod Taylor like it was in Buffalo, but he's a little bit over that, but he's not Josh Allen. So it makes you wonder how are the Giants going to operate this offseason? I know everyone is like, yeah, they'll bring them all back, run it back. I just don't know if this new front office and the way where they came from, from Buffalo and how they did it back then, are they going to just pour money into both these guys? After one good year, after the last few years where Saquon was injured and Daniel Jones never lived up to be the number six overall pick, I know everyone is expecting them back, but I want to see it before I believe it. You know what I mean? So I'm very fascinated by the Giants. They're picking in the late 20s. They have more than so enough it's picks. going to look for. They have more than enough picks to try to move up. Similar to that 2018 draft, that was five quarterbacks. It was Baker. It was Josh Allen. It was Sam Darnold, Josh Rosen, and Lamar Jackson. This draft class has four quarterbacks, first round worthy. It makes you wonder a little bit, do they want to go through that again? And maybe they look to trade Daniel. This is all me thinking. It's not me, you know, saying whatever, but I'm fascinated by what the Giants do because these, it was, they overachieved for sure. But I think the front office realized early on, we're doing way better than anybody expected. And that's why they didn't go all out at the trade deadline to trade for a, a Claypool or a Judy or whatever. They're like, we'll, we'll move on from Tony. We won't add anybody else. We'll, we'll claim Isaiah Hodgins, who worked out pretty well, to be fair. So she sure did. So I'm fascinated by the Giants and what they do. I don't think it's as easy as everyone's making it out to be. Yeah, they have 11 picks. They have, they're going to get two more from the compensatory formula. Oh my seventh gosh. Round. So no, 11 in total. They have nine now and it'll be 11, I believe. So. Okay. Yeah. 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 I'm seeing the comp in the third and the sixth. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and wow. they, have, they have cap space as well. Once they move on from Kenny Galladay, it opens up. They have some big decisions to make on extensions with um, Andrew Thomas, Dexter Lawrence, Xavier McKinney. They they have some decisions to make, and it makes you wonder if they're going to pay big money for their quarterback and running back. That's an that's fascinating. If they use up the draft capital to go get the quarterback, though, well, then they would still have the 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 money left to go sign some free agents. But then I'm I'm trying to figure out how they plug some of the other obvious holes. Like they need some wide receivers, right? Like they had really strong wide receiver play under the circumstances, like for who they were. But you're not trying to go into a season with Isaiah Hodgins and Richie James as your one A one B wide receiver. So you need to find some talent. At that position, I don't know that free agency is necessarily the answer at that position this year. I'll just say this. Joe Shane and Brandon Bean are so tight. They're so close to each other. Like they do everything. They, they work together in Buffalo. I was at the Senior Bowl just now. Those two were on the sidelines together the entire time. I look at how Buffalo did their rebuild, and I feel like the Giants can try to do the same thing. They traded for Stephon Diggs. Who's the big receiver that solves to might become available? Is it maybe T Higgins? Is Brandon Ayuk available? They'll try to get somebody, right? Like maybe not this year, maybe next year, but the way Buffalo did their rebuild, and you know what? I'll, I'll give you a good podcast to listen to when you have time. Joe okay. Shane did an interview with Peter Schrager and 
on his podcast recently, and he went through everything in Buffalo. And um, that specific offseason in 2018, he went back through all the moves and how they decided what they decided, how they targeted Josh Allen, the entire thing. I listened to Joe talk about that, and it just tells me, like, he's bringing that to New York. You know, it's just, it just like you listen to this stuff like we listened with Eric DaCosta and Thomas Dimitrov. When you hear Joe mm-hmm. Shane talk about talk about Buffalo, you can't tell me he's not bringing the same thing to New York, yep. especially when Brian Dayball was there as well in Buffalo. These two guys came from Buffalo. They did the rebuild. They were there from step one t- till the very end. It just makes me feel like they're going to do something out of the ordinary that people might not be ready for. I love that. And you're totally looking for the right stuff too. It's They'll tell you what they believe in. They tell you what they think is important. They just won't tell you with specific detail uh, about a specific player or a specific deal. But like broad philosophically, it's all out there somewhere. You just got to find it and then and then try and figure out what that means for the individual deals. Um, that's fascinating to me. I think that, oh gosh, Ari, you just got me so excited about this. What, what about the running backs? Because this is something that I've been saying all season, right? This free agency class is there. I mean, the, the names that are hitting free agency this year are just crazy. And it's a running back position where there is a, uh, a history now of reasons not to give these guys big money deals. So I'm wondering which are the guys that people pay regardless of the now pretty big sample size that we have that would argue that you don't do that. Um, I'm fascinated to see how this all plays out, where they go, if they stay with their teams, who's willing to pay. You could make an argument that the $10 million franchise tag is still too expensive this offseason just because of all the running backs that are going to be available. Plus, this running back draft class is super deep. So you have all that, all those guys on cheap contracts, whether it's round two, three, four, five, six, seven, even undrafted. And then you have this running back free agent class, which is from top to bottom, just stacked. Like even somebody like Alexander Madison is a free agent. Like you could take him on a minimum contract probably and put him in as a starter. And you're saving eight, nine million dollars versus whoever else you would have gotten. So it's a tough time to be a running back. And I don't I don't sense that it's going to change the way teams have operated over recent years is like, unless you're that special running back, we're not paying you. So if you're Christian McCaffrey, we'll pay you. If you're Dalvin Cook, you'll get paid. Alvin Kamara gets paid. Todd Gurley got paid. I would imagine Saquon Barkley should get paid, but then there's the injury factor. Josh Jacobs was pretty good this year. Do we want to see it again? Like everyone criticized the Raiders for declining the fifth-year option. It was for $8 million. The tag is now $10 million. It's not the biggest difference. You know what I mean? So like, it's not the end of the world that he declined it. If you look at it now, where they saw what he could do in this offense and we're paying an extra $2 million to bring you back. So um, it's not the greatest time to be a running back unless you're that special, special one. But everyone else, I think they're going to be left out and what they're expecting is not what they're going to get come for agency. All right. I can't wait to see when all this stuff starts going down. Um, what What should be on our radar prior to free agency? Like aside from some of these quarterback deals that we've talked about, are there any teams that you think are set like big names that are probably going to be cut um, that that are on your radar or teams that are going to start hemorrhaging in you know some way or what should we be looking out for? Um, so, yeah, I do this every year where I start breaking down who might get cut, who might mm-hmm. 
get traded. I'm actually still in the midst of working through that. Um, not fully done yet, but I would expect that there will be a nice handful of cuts, whether there's a lot of these players who have no more guaranteed money. I'm fascinated by, we didn't mention this team, but the and Ryan Tannehill. Um, hold on. No idea. Um, Tennessee with Ryan Tannehill. Um, he has no guaranteed money left. He has hired a new GM. Um, that's definitely a very interesting situation. Um, I don't know what they'll do. No one's really talking about that, but he could be a potential trade or cut candidate. Um, the Bears, I think, are the most fascinating team this entire offseason. I think they control everything with the cap space, with the number one overall pick, with how they haven't really said yet they've committed to Justin Fields. And I think there's there's a reason why they aren't saying that yet, but I would imagine he's back, but they haven't fully said it yet. Um, imagine he becomes available some way, somehow, and they want to restart the clock. And I was talking to some people at Mobile about this, but like, if you think Justin Fields is a B-plus quarterback and you have an A quarterback in this draft, and you know that Justin Fields this next season plays like Daniel Jones, for example, and he becomes extension eligible, his agent is the same agent as Deshaun Watson. I would imagine his agent will come to the table and say, we're talking right now. Like we're starting these contract talks next year. If you're the bears, are you ready to do that? Or would you rather say, if we identify an A quarterback in this draft, do we take that quarterback and restart the clock for three more years? You just got excited and unexcited within like a one minute span of the potential of Justin Fields to Baltimore. And then you were like, oh, no, he's going to want a fully guaranteed deal. And I'm like, OK, no, not Baltimore. I, I, I don't like, think he I don't think he would he would get a fully guaranteed deal. I just think he would want to get paid similar to Kyler Murray after year three. That's what I'm saying. So okay. like as as a front office in Chicago, you have to calculate all that and say, you know what? We love Justin Fields, but where do we grade him on our scale? And how do we value the fact that if he plays on a Daniel Jones level next year and his agent comes up and says, it's time to get paid like Arizona just did with Kyler Murray. And I think most people would agree Arizona regrets it right now. Do you start thinking a little bit about, do we take a quarterback if we love someone in this draft? These are conversations that are going on right now. And that's what makes this offseason so much fun because I could tell you right now, eight, nine, 10, 11 teams that I'm not certain about their quarterback situation. And because of that, we're going to have a legit quarterback carousel that could start as early as this week, probably next week. And then whenever the Rodgers decision comes down and on and on, it's just going to be rolling and it's going to be crazy. So um, we've only talked about like four or five, six names, but there could be way more here. It's, it's It could get wild. Let's put it that way. Oh my gosh. I'm so excited for this offseason. I can't imagine a scenario where the Bears, I mean, I know that it's possible. I can't imagine, like Justin Fields was so exciting this year. And yes, he needs to develop as a passer, but also you could make the argument that they they had nothing there to help him in that department. So I feel like you gotta, you gotta bring it back another year. You have this exciting talent who has potential still, like unrealized, we don't know what that looks like. So like, let's work on building it. There are people in the NFL who truly believe he doesn't have it as a passer for whatever that's worth. Really? Like, and that was one of the main reasons. Like one of the questions back when he was um in the draft, and if you remember, he he slid all the way to 11. And if not for Chicago trading up, how much farther does he draft? Because all these teams passed on him, and that tells you what they think of him. They they thought something was not right, whatever that is. So but if they're not wrong for, all the time. 
I, I understand that, but you could, I, I could definitely imagine teams going back to those scouting reports and saying, we still agree with what we saw back then, you know? And there are people who still truly, I'm not on that boat, but people truly believe he doesn't have it as a passer. And that's a problem. And then when you factor in the contract part of it, it definitely becomes a question now that Chicago has a number one overall pick. The number one overall pick, a bunch of other picks, and then the most cap space this offseason with which to work. See, I so you could look at this two ways, right? You could look at this and say, okay, they got their quarterback, which I think half of us were like, okay, they won this year. They got a quarterback and they got their read on that and they know they have someone to build around and they have all of this capital with which to build around him with. Or you could look at it that way and say, like, he might not be our guy and we have all of this. Um, room to move him and then also build something different. Oh, I, I would, I'm, I, I'm just saying I would not be shocked if Chicago plays this entire draft as if they need a quarterback just to try to see if Indy, Houston, Carolina, whatever decides to jump up yeah, and just it pay might mean ransom, nothing, which it is unfair, mean... which is unfair to Justin Fields for whatever it's worth. But yes, I could see them playing, taking that angle to all of this and saying, you know, we're not really sold on this guy. And, you know, we might take a quarterback. So if you really want the number one hour pick, you, you, you got to pay up. So we're going to have a lot of that come draft season. So it's, it's going to be a lot. Wouldn't they have competition trying to get up to one anyway, even if they weren't the ones pretending that they were in the market for quarterback and that they might take one? Wouldn't wouldn't there be an argument to be made like there's other teams that are trying to get here? I would imagine they do. But then there's the element what, where it's like Houston is at two. So they're taking a quarterback as well. Let's just mm-hmm. say, right. Let's just say, let's just say Chicago bluffs that we love Bryce Young and then Houston loves CJ Stroud. That's two quarterbacks down already. So like if you're Indianapolis and you're at four, we already lost out on two quarterbacks. Our only chance to get up there is if we trade to number one. And that means we get our quarterback, plus we make sure Houston doesn't get who might be their number one guy. So there's a lot of games that could go on over here. Um, Ryan Poles, second year GM. um, He has a tough task here. I'm very intrigued by him because he's somebody who, I don't want to go into too much of a tangent, but he interviewed with the Giants, interviewed with the Vikings. And from what I heard, he blew both those teams away. So he, he sounds like he's a very impressive guy. Um, but I, I've said this to people. I think he's the one GM who truly controls this offseason, has the ability to, with that pick and all the cap space. He he has a lot of power this offseason. All right. I didn't think it was possible. You've made me more excited about the offseason <laughs> than I already was. And I like geek out about this. You've put several things on my radar that weren't even on my radar before. So thank you so much for that. I really appreciate your time. I hope you have a great Super Bowl week. Thanks for having me, Lindsay. This was great. You guys, I feel like I just drank like 30 coffees. I am geeked about the Bears, about the Giants, about T. Higgins. I mean, come on, now that has to happen, right? Like, I can't just have that put on my radar and then have that not come to fruition when it makes so much sense. Burrow, they're going to have to pay him this offseason. Are they going to want to pay Higgins what he'll be asking for next year? Can they do that? Or are they going to get out ahead of that problem and get something for him in return? It just makes too much sense. And if you're not following Ari already on Twitter, I suggest you do because he will obviously be in the mix to break that news if it ever does 
actually become news. Ari's handle on Twitter is my sports update, and you can find his podcast wherever you get podcasts. Also, it's the Ari Mirov NFL show. As for Kurt, he is on Twitter also, Kurt13Warner. He'll be on game day morning on Sunday for NFL Network for eight and a half hours as part of their pregame show that takes you up to Super Bowl kickoff. It starts at 9 a.m. Eastern. You can also find his tape breakdowns on his website, qbconfidential.com, or on the QB Confidential YouTube page. He has a video there about how Travis Kelsey gets so open. He also breaks down the play of A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith. I think you'll enjoy watching all of those videos before watching the Super Bowl on Sunday. Good way to get ready for the game. Really good stuff there from a guy who very much likes teaching football. So thanks again to him and to Ari, and I'm excited about my guests for Wednesday's episode. I'll be talking to Seth Kaiser, who analyzes the Chiefs for The Athletic in such a smart way. Can't wait to get his thoughts on the game. And also Aaron Schatz, who's been on the show before. He is the creator of the DVOA stat, works for Football Outsiders. I reference that DVOA stat all the time. And I mentioned a few weeks ago, I've got some things that I want to talk to him about with regard to the Bills specifically and how we should analyze that team in retrospect. But I'm also positive that he will have some very interesting thoughts on the Super Bowl matchup as well. Anyway, that's coming up on Wednesday. Really appreciate you guys listening. If you're not a subscriber already, please hit that subscribe button now. And Andrew Emmer, our producer, will make sure it is in your feed when you wake up on Wednesday morning. The NFL Roadshow is part of the SiriusXM Sports Podcast Network. Have a great week, guys. I'll see you again on Wednesday. SiriusXM Podcasts.